we jump into the Word together, we wanted to carve out um, some time to kind of do a little update and kind of introduce you, um, and maybe you're new here today, and we are a church that we believe that um, God has placed us here for this community, but also for the world around us, and we began that journey, and praise God by His grace, we have three partnerships, one in, in India, um, one in Toronto, and one in... Um, in Ecuador, and we praise God for that. And then a few years ago, we were walking through um, the, the book of James, and in the book of James, the first chapter just speaks about this picture of what it means to, to visit the orphan and the widow in their affliction, and God just began to do a work in our, our church um, as we sought his face. Um, in fact, it kind of began with um, a lady in our church who's not here today, I don't think, who adopted um, Two children that were her niece and nephew adopted them. Um, Kenny felt called of God to begin to work with the guardian of Lightham and um, just giving himself to be an advocate in, in that way. Um, in the meantime, God called our family to to adopt. And today is seven months home from Malachi, so he's been been home with us for seven seven months. I can't even begin to tell you how awesome that is. Uh, yesterday we worked in the yard together and uh, I gave the, made the mistake of giving him the hose. And uh, as I turned my back for just a second, I turned back around and he was actually towards right up to the edge of the road. He knows he can't go further, but he was spraying cars as they drove by. <laughs> it, it was an awesome, awesome thing to get the looks that I got after that. But, um, and, and then through that, then God also called Richard and Annie of our church to get involved in foster fostering, and we praise God for what he's doing there. And then on top of it all, um, God called our church to be a part of a foster wraparound ministry that's taking place through the Florida Baptist Children's Home. So um, what we have done over the last few years, we've been partnering with Paul and Lynn Ferraro, and uh, they are a, a family. They have two biological children, and then right now they have four um, that they are, are fostering, and they're doing it at the Florida Baptist Children's Home. And sometimes we, we can hear that, and we can hear those stories, and you can hear that we have that ministry, but um, until you to hear a little more or see it, it kind of doesn't make sense, or you don't really understand what it is that we're a part of or that we have the opportunity to be a part of. So we have um, Paul and Lynn, and their family are with us today, and I've asked Lynn to come and to share a little bit about their story um, to us, that we can kind of be introduced to that, and then I pray from that God would begin to do even more in this partnership. So, Lynn, if you can go ahead and come on. If y'all can make Lynn feel welcome this morning. Thank you. Good morning. Um, like Pastor Micah said, my name is Lynn Ferraro, and I have my book of note cards to try and keep me on track because I will ramble. <laughs> Um, so my family um, is on a journey. Um, we're not like most families, and our family dynamic changes several times throughout the year. Um, as a matter of fact, we have an extra this weekend. Um, he went back to his dad almost two years ago, but we are still very involved with them and get to love on and minister to them um, as often as we want to. Um, so Messiah is actually here with us today as well. So we actually have seven here today. <laughs> um, our journey is difficult. Um, it's not what we expected. It is nothing like um, what the books say. It's nothing like what um, anybody can tell you. It's hard. It's a hard road to be on. Um, but let me back up for a second. 
Uh, Paul and I started young. We were married at 20 and 24. Brindley was born the next year, and Annabella was three years after that. And we're done, or so we thought. <laughs> she was about, Annabella was about three years old when um, I started to get that itch. And most new mamas can relate when your babies are growing up, and all of a sudden you go, oh, I really want another baby. <laughs> But this wasn't the case for us. Um, I had actually been working with newborns pretty much since Annabella was born, and I had been holding a newborn baby almost every night since she was born. Um, it wasn't, I just wanted another baby. God was calling us to something, and it was intense. Um, I shared that with Paul, and his question was, well, how are we gonna do that? Um, after Annabella was born, we made a pretty permanent decision that we weren't gonna have any more children, and we acted on it. So we couldn't conceive any more babies. Um, so. We talked about it, and he made the comment, well, why don't we look into foster care? If y'all have, if you could know my husband, um, he came from a blended family with four children, and his parents went on to do foster care themselves. Um, he hated it. He hated that his parents went through what they went through. He hated that they were tortured for these children, and they were pushed through the ringer over kids that weren't theirs. You know, it didn't make sense to him as a kid. Um, and as he grew up, apparently he saw the good that his parents were doing. Apparently it was amazing to see those foster siblings that he had grow up and be people that could live a normal life because of what his parents had done. So I jumped on it. Um, if I gave him any time to think about it, he might have changed his mind. <laughs> so we started looking that day. We started praying hard. Um, God knows the kind of signs that I need, billboards with flashing lights. I can't, answer, I can't say that I've heard an answer until I see him clearly shouting at me that this is what he wants me to do. So he started by peopling my path. Um, there was a pride class that was scheduled at our church at the time um, that some of our friends were taking. We had um, a family that just kind of fell into foster care unexpectedly. Um, and then my very best friend, who had been trying for years to get pregnant, called me one day in tears because there was a baby that was born to a drug-addicted mama in her neighborhood, and they were going to do what it took to get licensed so that they could bring that baby home from the hospital. And then since then, they've adopted that baby and her older sister. So um, it was really clear that God was showing us by just random people in our own life that this was what he was calling us to do, that foster care is important, that taking care of the orphans is important. So we signed up for the pride class. We did the background screens. We got our neighbors and our church community to vouch for us and say that we're okay people and that we can do this. <laughs> and once everything was done and we were officially licensed, we got the call within three days. This was it. Um, a sibling set of three children that were aged from two to five and they were at my home within two hours of that first phone call. We spent the next year loving on them and praying for them and praying for their parents. Um, ultimately, they ended up being adopted by a grandmother and they're doing really, really well. And it was less than a week before we got the next phone call. Um, since that time, we have had 21 children come through our home, um, obviously not including my own. <laughs> and those children come and go, they might be with us for a short amount of time or they might be with us for a year or more. We actually have a couple that have been with us for almost two years at this time. Um, one of the things that I really like to share with people when I talk about my kiddos is that at any given time in the United States, there are 415,000 children in state foster care. 
In Florida alone last year, almost 16,000 children were removed from their families and placed in state custody. That's a lot of kids. So if you think what we've had is a lot, imagine how many across the state have been coming into care. Now multiply that by all of the workers, all of the guardian at litems like Mr. Kenny, who actually is our guardian at litem by the way, <laughs> um, the attorneys, the um, therapists, the biological family members of these kids. Those are opportunities that we get to reach out to and love on the broken and love on the fatherless and show them what Christ's love really looks like. It's hard, y'all. I mean, we have bio parents at times that I don't even wanna see because of what they've done to their children, but we have to remember that they are a broken person. They are not God. We cannot expect perfection from them like we did Jesus Christ. They are broken and we have to give them grace through that and that is something that I have to pray about every single day. We've been doing this now for almost five years and um, the blessings that we have incurred are clearly from God. You can't say otherwise to me. Um, we have had times where our kids were needing shoes coming up for the next school year and we were blessed by a gift card to shoe carnival out of nowhere. We hadn't told anybody that the kids were needing tennis shoes. It just came. Um, and then a church family like you guys step up and come over and help me clean my house yesterday because we have infant twins and I haven't been able to do anything for the past six months. <laughs> so to know that these blessings are there and that these opportunities are there is amazing. And I'm so grateful for your church and for what you guys have committed to do to love on and to pray for and to be there for the orphans in our home as well as the other homes that have been called to this ministry like Richard and Annie who we love so much. Um, it really is an important work. Quite frankly, it's why we keep doing this because these kids are so worth it, y'all. If you could only see the joy that is in their little lives and in their hearts for just being loved, for just knowing what it feels like to be truly loved. It's what keeps us going. Thank you guys so much for having me here. So I, we want to, again, thank Paul and, and Lynn and the family for being here. And just to, at the end of the service, we're going to have them come up and kind of introduce the whole family. We're going to pray over them. Um, and I, I pray that what God is going to do through this day is kind of ramp up our partnership a little bit and let us kind of become more involved in, in those needs and understanding what those needs are. We did have um, a group was able to go out yesterday and help with the, the spring cleaning and um, we praise God for that, but just so so much that we, we can do to just be a blessing. And I tell you, I, I, what Lynn just said, I said earlier to somebody um, that asked about the adoption. I said, it's, it's the hardest thing we've ever done. The hardest thing we've ever done. That, that's, those are our kids being kids out, outside. You just heard that. It might have been mine. But hard, hardest thing we've ever done, but also at the same time the most rewarding. And uh, just praise God for that. And what we have an opportunity, opportunity to do in the month of May is if you have the envelope service of the church, you should get an envelope that says the Florida Baptist Children's Home Mother's Day offering. If not, we will have some provided. But in the month of May, we're going to take an offering um, 
or Mother's Day offering that benefits the Florida Baptist Children's Home, benefits families like the Ferraros um, that are just giving of themselves, um, allowing God to stretch them um, beyond belief, to stretch them when they say, God, we can't stretch anymore. And God says, well, watch, I'm going to show you how much you might be able to stretch more for my glory. So we, we have that opportunity, and I'm just so thankful. Um, thank you, Paul. Thank you, Lynn, for being here. Thank you, Lynn, for sharing um, such an amazing blessing. And like I said, at the end of the service, we're going to um, call the whole family down and, and just pray over them. And um, I just pray that God will just continue to do something great in and through this partnership uh, moving forward. With that said, um, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to open with me today to Hebrews chapter 1. So Hebrews chapter 1 is where we are going to be this morning. Last week, we finished up an eight-week series where we walked through the I Am statements um, in the Gospel of John, eight quotes from Jesus where he, without any hesitation, without any doubt, claimed to be God over and over and over again. And the response to that claim for those who heard him then and the response to that claim for those of us now could not have any greater consequences. So to go along with kind of where we've been over the last eight weeks, I want to show you one more glorious picture of Christ that's found in the book of, of Hebrews. If you know anything about this book, first of all, it might be a hard book to find in the Bible, but it's in the New Testament. Don't be afraid to use your concordance to get there. Um, but uh, table of contents, go there, get there, um, Hebrews 1. But this book was, was written to Jewish Christians who were being persecuted, who were suffering more than we could ever begin to imagine because of their faith in Christ. And because of this difficulty, because of their persecution, they were being tempted to turn away from trusting Christ, to turn away from their faith in Christ, and instead to turn back to what they had trusted in previously. To, to turn back to that. And let me just say this from the beginning this morning. That temptation can often become a reality for us too. The temptation to turn away from Christ, to turn back to something else. There are times in your life and there are times in my life that if we're not careful, we can become convinced that Christ has offered us a life that is free from um, anything that looks like or anything that feels like suffering or difficulty or pain. So sometimes, if we're not careful, we, we become convinced that if we come to Christ, he offers us no pain, no difficulty, nothing that even looks like trouble, and that's what we sign up for. And in our human and sinful minds, we view God as a business partner who is not upholding his end of the bargain. Therefore, we think, well, we must cut him off. If he's not going to do what we expected him to do, if he's not going to keep us free from all of this, then do we really need him? And let me just say this this morning, and please hear this. If we love God for anything other than God, if we love God for anything less than God himself, we run the risk of our love crumbling in upon itself. If we love God for anything other than God, meaning if we love the gifts that God gives more than God himself, those things can begin to crumble in upon us if we're not careful. So what the writer of Hebrews does is he takes these believers and he brings them to Christ and he just leaves them there over and over and over again. In this, this book, he points them to the fact that Christ is better. He's better than their old system. He's better than anything they had previously trusted in. Therefore, they must not, dare not turn their backs 
on him. And the beauty of this book is it begins with the reality, hear this, that God has spoken. God is not silent. God is a God who speaks. In the words of Dallas Willard, he says, we could say that the most important thing in life is to hear God's voice. We may think hearing God is something mystical or super spiritual, but that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God speaks as a normal part of our daily lives. So this is, we're not here today celebrating mysticism. We're not here celebrating weirdness. We're here saying today that our God speaks. Our God is a God who speaks. He has spoken and he speaks. Yet, if we're going to be honest, let me say it again, church is a pretty good place to be honest. So just let me throw it out there. If you're going to be honest anywhere, this is a good place to be honest. If we're going to be honest, I'm sure there have been times where in moments of despair, we have said, God, where are you? God, where are you? God, why are you silent to my prayers? God, I'm praying, I'm seeking your face, and you're not giving an answer. I'm sure there's been times in all of our lives where we felt that. We felt like God is silent in the midst of our deepest needs. And the glorious truth that I pray that we don't miss this morning is that God has and God is. He has spoken and he is speaking. And he has spoken most beautifully and he has spoken most powerfully in his son, Jesus Christ. I, I, think, I think the fact that, that God speaks at all, the fact that God has spoken to us at all should be something that, that we hold in higher esteem. You know, most of us don't think great thoughts towards the fact that God has even spoken to us. But just think about this. How dark, how dark would the darkness of our world be if God had never spoken? How dark would the darkness of our world be if God never spoke? Thankfully, God has chosen to speak to us. Those who are fragile and frail as we are. Yet God speaks to us, and he has spoken most fully and most gloriously through his son. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to read Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and then we're going to just unpack these verses um, together. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word this morning. So Hebrews 1, beginning at verse 1 through verse 4, and it says this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and it, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Let's pray together. Father, we just continue in this moment today to look to you. We praise you, God, for all that has been accomplished so far in our time together. And we thank you in this moment that we can continue, as we've heard your voice already today, God, we can continue to hear your voice. For you speak so loudly and so clearly through your son and through your word. 
Help us, God, today not to ignore what is right in front of us. Help us today, Lord, not just to think flippant thoughts concerning the fact that you have spoken. Instead, God, help us today to be humbled, to be humbled, Father, in your presence, to be humbled by your powerful voice. And help us, God, today to line our lives up with what you are saying and what you have said. God, speak today for we are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So I love how this, this begins. Verse 1, long ago, many times, in many ways, God spoke. God spoke. Don't just gloss over that phrase. For God is not an idea for us to just think about. He is a person for us to know. He's a person for us to, to love, for us to listen to, for us to obey. And the fact that we can listen to him means that he has spoken, that he is speaking to us. And let me just say again, God does not owe it to us to speak to us. He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to speak to us, but by his grace, he does. He chooses to speak to us. So what I want to do this morning, very quickly, and I'm saying that because I don't know how long my voice will uphold this time, but I want us to quickly unpack two main truths concerning God's communication with us. And I want us to And doing that, lift high the message of what he has said to us. So the first truth that we want to lift high together is that God spoke before the coming of the Son of God. So God has spoken before the coming of the Son of God. We see this in verse 1, long ago, long ago, many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So the beauty here is that God in the past, in the Old Testament, he spoke. And interestingly enough, he did not just confine, confine himself to one method of speaking, nor did he confine himself just to speak to one type of person. Just think about the Old Testament writers. We know that God, without a doubt, spoke to them. And just think about who we have in that group of Old Testament writers. We have a lawgiver. We have a general. We have kings. We have a cupbearer. We have musicians. We have shepherds, a priest, prophets. Many who were outcasts, all of these God spoke to. So I, maybe today, maybe, maybe you don't feel like a king. Maybe you don't feel like a, a priest or a prophet. Maybe you feel more like a shepherd or an outcast. But the beauty is that God has spoken. And just think about all the ways that God spoke in the Old Testament. God spoke through dreams and visions. God spoke through delivering messages to angels. God spoke in audible voices. He spoke loudly from the burning bush, got Moses' attention. He also, God also softly whispered out of a whirlwind. God wrote on walls. God even spoke through a donkey. I don't know if you know this, but every Sunday morning, Brother Curtis comes up to me and he says, Pastor, I just want to encourage you today. And I want to let you know that if God can use a donkey, he can use you. Every Sunday, I get, I, no, that's not true, but he probably thinks that or wish, from here on out, that will probably be um, the declaration that he gives. But God even spoke through a donkey. And in the words of one theologian, the idea of God making himself known is not so much a biblical idea. It is the biblical idea. It is the whole idea of scripture. God has made himself known. 
So we've got all of these ways that God has communicated with his people in the past. But that is not the overall point of this passage. For God hasn't stopped there. God did not stop in just speaking through prophets. He didn't just stop in the Old Testament, which leads us to the second truth, which is this. God has spoken through the coming of the Son of God. So God didn't just speak before. Now he has spoken through the coming of the Son of God. It tells us here in verse 2 that in these last days, God, he has spoken to us by his Son. The Bible tells us over and over again that in the coming of Christ, when Christ was born, we entered into what is called the last days from, from that moment. Yet the, the main point here is that there are two, two pictures of God's communication that we need to see. First of all, communication before Christ and now communication in Christ. That God is communicating to us through his son. And please hear this. There won't be any other form of communication. Just so we understand that the last revelation of God to us, his people, is Jesus. Doesn't get any better than that. And this is helpful. It's helpful when we talk to, to Muslims or have conversations with Mormons to be able to say there is no revelation beyond Jesus. There's none beyond him. Jesus is the final and full revelation of God. You don't have to add anything to him. He, he's enough. Christ will forever be enough. And the, the point is that God has not just spoken by inspiring prophets. Instead, God has spoken by coming to us in the person of his son. God didn't just preserve the stories of the prophets so that we can look back at them and go, man, they're pretty inspiring. No, God preserved their stories in order to point us to a savior that we are able to hope in and adore forever. Let me just say it this way. When you think about the Old Testament, Jesus has always been the point. He's always been the point. He's always been what it pointed to. I love the words of Tim Keller and pointing to the truth that's always been about Jesus. Listen to what he says. Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed his test in the garden and his, whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all that was comfortable and familiar and go out into the void in order to create a new people for God. Jesus is the true and better Isaac who was not just offered up by his father on the mount but was truly sacrificed for us. Jesus is the true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice from God that we deserved. Jesus is the true and better Joseph, who at the right hand of the king forgives those who have betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save us. Jesus is the true and better Moses, who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. This is one of my favorite. Jesus is the true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer who then intercedes for and saves his stupid friends. In case you don't understand that, read the book of Job and you'll understand stupid friends and you'll understand God's grace over that. Jesus is the true and better David whose victory became ours even though we never lifted a stone to help him. Jesus is the true and better Samson, crushed under the weight of the wicked world to conquer our enemies and save us. Jesus is the true and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought 
in from the storm. Jesus is the real rock of Moses. He's the real Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain, so the angel of death could pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true light, the true bread. So you see, the Bible's really not about us at all. It's always been about him. It's always been about him. So God spoke Periodically, God spoke partially through the prophets, but God spoke finally and God spoke fully through his son. The son is the dividing line of all history. Everything before Jesus pointed to Jesus. Everything after Jesus points back to Jesus. He is the center of it all. But just think about this. What did the writer of Hebrews want us to see, want us to feel, want us to know concerning Jesus, what, what do we need to leave here knowing? What do we need to leave here believing about the final word of God to us? And let me just unpack three things real quick today. First is this, Jesus is the inheritor and initiator of all things. If you look at verse 2, it says that very clearly. It says, His last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. Jesus is the inheritor or the heir of all things meaning get this if you're an heir it means that you're the one it's all coming to so the picture is Jesus as the heir means it is all coming to him because God only has one son only begotten son it is Jesus therefore everything God created everything that God did on this earth it was done for Jesus it's very humbling to realize, brothers and sisters, that we are not the point. It's really humbling to realize that this whole thing, this whole story is not revolving around us. It's really humbling to realize this whole story is revolving around him. It's revolving around him and who he is and what he has done for us. And the irony is, get this, the irony is that the son who is the heir of all things also created all things. That's the, the irony here. Jesus, who has the last word over everything, also had the first word over everything. I find it very interesting when you look at verse 2 that the word translated world there is not the normal Greek word cosmos, which we would get the picture of universe, but rather it is the Greek word anios, which means the ages or eternity, which means this, that Jesus not only made the universe, Jesus made eternity. And you might think, well, in eternity forever? And that, that's when we begin to see that this picture of God is way greater than we could ever begin to imagine. We can't wrap our heads around who he is and what he has done. Jesus is the one who existed before history. He was the beginning of history. He will be at the end of all history. He's the inheritor. He is the initiator of it all. But then the second truth is this. Jesus is the radiance and representation of one thing. So he's the radiance and representation of one thing. And what is that one thing? It's God. It's God. Verse 3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. The reason Jesus is superior to the prophets is because he is radiating the glory of God. 
That word radiance means literally to send forth light. Therefore, Jesus is shining forth the glory of God. In Jesus, we see what God is like. If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. If you want to know how God responds to the midst of a sinful world, look at Jesus. Or as you heard often in our I Am series, we want to behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. We want to behold his glory in the face of Christ. And we want to keep beholding. Because as we behold, we become more and more conformed to his image. So Jesus is the exact representation of God. He is God. To see Christ is to see the Father. I love what someone said. It said that Jesus relates to God in the same way the rays of sunlight relate to the sun. There is no time that the sun has ever existed apart from the, its beams of radiance. The two cannot be separated. For the rays of sun are an extension of the sun itself. In fact, we see the sun by seeing its rays. In a similar yet much greater way, we see God by beholding his son. I love what Paul says in Colossians 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Then it says, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. He is the radiance, the representation of God. And it is, a, it is a sad reality today, brothers and sisters, that there are some out, there are some maybe in this room, and there's many outside of this room that have looked at Jesus in the face and have tipped the hat to him, have said, yeah, I'll store that in here, and have walked away and have treated him as if he's nothing more than a preacher like me who you can take some of what he says if it relates to you, and you can leave other things if it doesn't relate to you. And that's how we respond to Jesus. The point is this, Jesus is not a preacher that can be ignored on Sunday. He is God. He's God. You can't ignore him. You can't ignore him. In fact, you ignore him at your own peril. Which leads us to the last, I'm preaching way better than your amen and just so you know. <laughs> way better. I'm, I'm struggling here, but I'm doing way better than you are at this moment. Um, just so you know. So the third truth is this. Jesus then is the sustainer and savior of the world. And this is when it starts getting really, really good. Because in verse 3, at the very end, it says this. That Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. He holds everything together. I love the words of Elizabeth Elliot. Listen to what she says. Think about this. If the distance between the earth and the sun, 92 million miles, was the thickness of one sheet of paper, then the distance from the earth to the nearest star would be a stack of paper 70 feet high. The diameter of our galaxy is only a speck of dust in the universe. And listen to this. And if there is a person who holds all of that together by the word of his power, is this the kind of person you ask into your life to be your personal assistant? Think about it. If this is who he is, and if he is God, and he is holding this world together, is he the kind of person that we would just invite into our life to assist us? 
And this is where we see that he is, according to his word, holding everything, holding the universe together by the word of his power. And let me just blow your minds here. Because what this means is that Jesus, as a baby, in a manger, as God, was holding the universe together by the word of his power. Jesus, asleep in a boat on the Sea of Galilee, was holding the universe together by the word of his power. And Jesus, hanging on the cross for our sins, was holding the universe together by the word of his power. And what I'm trying to tell you is this. He's a little bit greater than we imagine him to be. In fact, maybe a lot greater than we imagine him to be. He is a sustainer of the world, and yet also he is the savior of the world. For it tells us in verse 4, or in verse 3, excuse me, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The creator of the world, the sustainer of the world, also became the sin bearer of the world. To create the universe, all Jesus needed to do was speak. In order to save the world, Jesus had to die. Let me say it again. In order to create the world, Jesus just needed to speak. In order to save us, he had to die. It's staggering to think that the sovereign Lord would stoop down so low to become the sacrificial lamb. Sovereign Lord stooping so low to become the sacrificial lamb for us. In the words of Isaac Watts, the hymn writer, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. You want to know what love, what, what love demands? You want to know what true love demands? What Jesus, stooping from being sovereign Lord to sacrificial lamb, what it deserves? It deserves our soul, our life, and our all. And just think about this. How in the world did Jesus become the bad guy in our culture? How did Jesus become the bad guy in our culture? And you might be saying to yourself, well, Mike, I don't mind Jesus. I just don't like you. Or I just don't like the church. And just imagine, imagine the same concept, saying, I love Jesus, I just hate the church. Try this at home. Go home and tell your partner, hey, I love your head, I just hate everything else. And see how that's going to work for you? And then I'll sign you up next week for a couple of marriage seminars in my office for the rest of the week. Here's the point. We can't say, I love the head, I hate the body. Why? Because Jesus died to create the body. Died to create the body. So to say, I love Jesus, I just don't want the church, is to say, I don't want Jesus. That's what you're saying. It's what what we are saying. He died for the church. So the point of it is, Jesus didn't come to this earth saying, I just take pleasure in condemning you. No, we were already condemned. That's why Jesus came instead jesus came to this earth overflowing with love for us so that he could absorb the condemnation that was ours he died in our place and then according to the word of god he sat down showing that the payment that he made for sin was enough once and for all it was enough so the question becomes if you turn away from him if you spurn him Where else do you look? If you turn away from Jesus, what other hope do you have? The question for us this morning is, does 
Does our reaction to the, the weight of Jesus, does our reaction match the weight of his glory? Do we understand who we're dealing with here? Let me give you one more quote from N.T. Wright. He says this, and I, I pray that this takes a little while for us to wrap our heads around, but he says, how can you live with a terrifying thought that the hurricane has become a human, that the fire has become flesh, that life itself has walked into our midst? Christianity either means that or it means nothing. It is the most devastating disclosure of the deepest reality of the world, or it is a sham. Most people, unable to cope with either of those two things, are condemned to live in the shallow world in between. Just listen to that. Jesus is either the greatest revelation given to us by God as God for our salvation, or he is a sham. And N.T. Wright says so many people who find both of those places too heavy, instead choose to live in the shallow world in between. And what a shallow world it is. No deep places there in between. Let me say it again. You cannot, you cannot respond to Jesus like you would respond to a preacher like me by saying, hey, if you give me something that relates to me, I'll take it in. If it doesn't relate to me, I find it very boring and I, I, I really feel like I'm wasting my time. We cannot treat Jesus that way. Everything he says is for our life and for our good. And we ignore it. We walk away from it at our own peril. The picture today, brothers and sisters, is that God has spoken to us through his son. And the, the question is this. Have you heard and have you responded to that message? Have you heard? Have you responded to the message of the Son? Has that message captured your heart? Has it captured your heart that God sent his Son to this earth to live a life that you could never live? A life of perfection. He sent his Son to this earth to die a death that you could never die. A death for the sins of the world. For your sins and my sins. And that he sent his son to this world to conquer an enemy that we could not conquer, death and the grave. And that whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you responded in faith to that message of what Christ has done for you? Oh, that that would be you today. Or the question would be this. Are you in this moment living in that shallow in-between? You know the teachings of Christ. You, you can tell all the flannel graph stories you heard as a, as a child, but yet there is no reality there. And maybe you're teaching or you're treating Jesus as you would treat a pastor on Sunday. Take some of it, leave some of it. And today you're realizing we can't treat him this way. He, he is more than, than that to us. I pray that whatever God is saying to us today, that we would, we would do it. So I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to call the musicians forward and enter into a time of invitation, a time of, of consecration. And let's just, let's just pray together. Father, in this moment, Father, in this time, Lord, we come before you, thanking you for your word that you have spoken. You spoke before Jesus through your prophets, yet their message was Jesus. And you have spoken to us ultimately and fully through your Son. 
It is a message of of love and, and hope for us. In fact, apart from that, if we scorn that, if we spurn that, what other hope is there? Lord, we are here this morning declaring with utmost boldness that there is only one Savior of sinners in the world, and His name is Jesus. Oh God, today we pray that everyone in this room knows Him. But if not, may today be the day of salvation. May today be the day that they turn from trusting in themselves. May today be the day they turn from their sin and turn in faith. Trusting Jesus as Savior and Lord. For if, according to your word, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. God, may salvation happen today. But also, Father, may a reconciliation happen today for any who are living in that shallow in-between God, today I pray that you would call them forth. With a mighty revelation of your son, call them forth. Call them back to you, O oh God. Lord, just continue to speak, we pray. Again, we can't avoid you. But help us to hear and respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.